everyone, and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and today we're talking about cinema. It's Sunday, so first off, I'm going to be talking about the weekend box office and some pretty exciting things that happened at the box office this weekend, along with uh, a couple movies that I saw, including Alita Battle Angel and The Farewell. So uh, let's get started. So this weekend, it's the uh, weekend of August 9th through the 11th, and uh, the box office actuals haven't come out yet. They don't typically come out on the weekends, but they usually have the estimates, which are available. And for any of you keeping score, I always use Box Office Mojo for any of my uh, weekend box office numbers or anything box office related. They've been phenomenal and are um, really easy to figure out, you know, what the weekend box office is, what's the highest grossing movie of all time, Avengers Endgame. And, uh, you know, anything you really have to wonder about the box office. So this weekend, um, as I had stated earlier this week, uh, a lot of movies actually came out this weekend. And um, the jury's out on whether a lot of these movies were good or not. But uh, judging by these box office numbers, uh, I guess you're going to have to decide for yourself. So uh, number one this weekend, again, was uh, Fast and the Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw, made another $25 million, and right now its total domestic gross is at $108 million so far. And its budget is $200 million, so it's still got some work to do, although it's made another $224,000 um, foreign as well. So right now the world worldwide gross is $332 million, which is pretty good. Um, in terms of, and I'm just clicking buttons as I do this, but the Fast and the Furious franchise, right now it's at number eight. So it just passed, or um, I guess it easily passed, um, Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, which only made $62 million. And um, Hobbs and Shaw's at 108, like I said. And then all of the other Fast and the Furious movies are above that. So Furious 7 was the uh, the highest grossing one at $353 million. So um, Hobbs and Shaw's got some work to do if it wants to beat that. I don't. I really don't think it's going to. And that's not a dig at the movie. It's just that this is a... It's a it's a spinoff movie, so most of the time spinoff movies aren't going to make as much as their predecessors. They're just kind of a nice extra chapter in um, the the franchise, and that's fine. I mean, again, as long as this movie makes more than its budget, that's really all that uh, Universal is going to care about. But uh, number two was Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I'm looking forward to seeing this movie. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, my brother and my cousin um, were both wanting to see it, uh, all three of us together, because we used to love the the Scary Stories books when we were kids. And so um, we just had a lot of different busy weekend things going on this weekend, so we weren't able to do it. We'll probably try and do it um, sometime, hopefully this week or maybe next weekend. But I know there, it's gotten mixed reviews. I've read some reviews that said it's pretty scary, some reviews that said it's like a basic scary movie. So, uh, again, jury's out on that one. But it made $20 million, which is pretty good uh, for a technically original scary movie i know it's based off the book but it's not it's not a conjuring universe scary movie so it's not making conjuring money but who knows maybe maybe it'll as long as it, again in any instance as long as the movie makes its budget back that's really all that matters and uh, number three is lion king and when i said earlier that there's big box office news that is for lion king um, so Lion King made another $20 million this weekend, which pushes its total domestic gross to $473 million. Now, that may seem like sort of, eh, you know, to some it may not seem a lot, but you know what? It is a lot. It's a huge amount to the point where it is now the number two movie of the year. 
It's uh, it, it has beaten out Captain Marvel. And with that point, I want to mention as well. Um, agree or disagree, right or wrong, Disney has the top four spots right now. Technically, it has the top six spots, if you want to argue, uh, of uh, the highest grossing domestic movies of this year, which is insane. Uh, number one, obviously, of 157 million. And then you got Lion King as number two at 473. Captain Marvel's got 426. Toy Story 4 has 419. And then number five is Spider-Man: Far From Home, which has 370. And again, that's not a Disney movie, but in turn, you know, it's a Marvel Studios movie in my eyes, so I, I count that as a win. And then number six is Aladdin, so there's your there's your fifth Disney movie at 352 million. And then the next closest one behind that is Us at 175 million. And for those of you out there that haven't seen the movie Us, you need to go go see that movie. It is incredible. Uh, it's such a good movie. Uh, it should be a lot higher on this list, but you know, it's. It's not a Disney movie or a movie that everyone wanted to see, which, again, is fine. That's just people's tastes. But very interesting that Disney's got so many top spots. And the, the distance between Aladdin and us is uh, it's almost uh, 200 million. It's like 180. It's basically 180 million higher. It's just it's Disney is having a really, really good year. And that's just domestic. So here's the next interesting piece. So worldwide this year, as we all know, Avengers Endgame is the number one movie. It's the number one movie of all time at $2.79 billion. But Lion King, with its foreign gross, is now at $1.3 billion as the number two movie of the year. I did not see that coming at all. It beat out Captain Marvel, and the list is kind of the same. Toy Story 4 drops to number 6, but all the rest are the same. So top 5 are Avengers Endgame, Lion King, Captain Marvel, Spider-Man, Far From Home, and Aladdin. And um, I'd like to point out as well, The Wandering Earth is at number 7. As I'd spoke on that last podcast, um, almost all of that movie was uh, foreign money. But um, still impressive that it made it in the top 10. Uh, Along with How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, Pokemon, Detective Pikachu, and number 10, Alita Battle Angel, which we will be talking about here later, and I'm very excited to see that on here. Uh, it's at $404 million, and uh, I will be talking about that in a little more detail coming up just because um, I have some thoughts on it. But uh, what an impressive year for Disney. Disney has put out one, two, three. That's their fourth uh, billion-dollar movie this year, and Toy Story is going to get there, uh, no doubt in my mind. Toy Story 4 is at $990 million. It's going to get a billion dollars, so that will be six Six movies that have passed, or wait, no, I'm sorry, five. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, five movies that have passed a billion. Honestly, that's just, that's mind-blowing. I I don't know the last time that something like that has happened, and obviously this was a big year for Disney because they're trying to put out all these big movies before they get them on Disney Plus to try and get the, the streaming uh, market, and uh, it's just, that's to me, that's really impressive. They, they can pull this off so many times, and especially with Lion King. I saw Lion King. I thought it was a good movie. It was a shot-for-shot remake of the original with a couple of differences, mainly just in um, the actors who played Timon and Pumbaa, and um, a couple of... I think there were a couple of original songs in there as well. Uh, I could be wrong. I don't remember. All I remember is as I was watching it, I just kept going, wow, this is, this is, uh, this is the animated movie for sure. But uh, what's interesting is I had read an article by Scott Mendelson of Forbes, and he had said he he doesn't know the answer as to whether this is the highest-grossing animated movie of all time or if it's the highest-grossing 
uh, was it live action movie? Because Disney hasn't said whether it's uh, a live action movie or not a live action movie. And and by live action, what he was saying was live action Disney movie. Um, because I think it is the highest grossing live action Disney movie. And I, I'm going to have to double check on that. Obviously, Avengers Endgame was, but in terms of a um, non basically as a Disney movie, not a Marvel Studios movie, not a Star Wars movie. And what's crazy too is with that said, it passed um it passed Star Wars the Last Jedi. I'm going to I'm going to look into that right now, but um I think it did. It's now yeah, it's number 12. It so it passed this weekend. It passed Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, Star Wars the Last Jedi, and now it is it is less than 10 million dollars behind Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 and another probably five million behind black panther and so there's a good chance that this movie lion king is going to be in the top 10 movies of all time uh which is just again i would never have expected this i thought that it was going to do well i didn't think it was going to do this well and that's not because i thought the movie was going to bomb i just i didn't realize that people wanted to see this movie so bad um but again it was good for i i would pick to call it an animated movie only because the entire movie is animated and it's all like there's no actors it's all just animals so to me i would call it an animated movie and i i think that's a good way to, to do it i mean sure call it live action if you want but regardless it is a box office behemoth right now and it is killing it so um lion king congratulations all the best Next up, number four for the weekend was Dora the Explorer, or uh, Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Made $17 million, and this one does have a budget of $49 million, so uh, we'll see if it ends up making its money back. Uh, it made $2.5 million foreign, though I don't know if it released in all areas of the foreign market yet. I'm not sure, but honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't make its budget back. I've heard it's pretty good. I just haven't seen it yet. Number five, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, made another $11 million to put it over $100 million domestic uh, on a $90 million budget. Obviously, this movie was going to be a win regardless. It's probably going to get a ton of Oscar buzz and uh, make some more money when it gets re-released towards the end of the year. Uh, some other new movies that came out. Next was uh, The Art of Racing in the Rain and then The Kitchen, which I had spoke on briefly about both of those. I don't think I'm going to see The Kitchen, and I wasn't ever planning on seeing The Art of Racing in the Rain. But they made $8 million and $5 million respectively, uh, which is, I guess, decent. I mean, they, they released in 2,700 theaters versus uh, Lion King is still in 4,000 theaters. So I, I don't anticipate them being around much longer. Number eight, Spider-Man Far From Home at $5 million for that, again, $370 million so far on a $160 million budget. Very impressive. And then number nine, Toy Story 4, again, made $4 million. But what's interesting now is uh, the number 10 movie of the weekend was Bring the Soul, the movie, which is a um, like a live concert of BTS, the K-pop group. And it made $2 million in 873 theaters. So for comparison, that is $2,600 per theater. And Toy Story 4 only made $1,900 per theater. Spider-Man made $1,900 per theater. So it's in way less theaters, but it's making a ton more money. And uh, those are always the movies I like seeing, where they're kind of limited releases, and uh, they don't make as much. They never That was never the plan, but people really want to see them. And that is no different for the number 11 movie, which is the movie I saw today, The Farewell. 
A24's movie uh, made $2 million for a $10 million gross so far, and it's only in 700 theaters, but it added almost 300 theaters this week. So um, impressive numbers. That one did even better than Bring the Soul because it made 3150 which is which is, would technically, if you're basing it off of the theater average, that's going to put it as the number six movie of the weekend versus it actually being the number 11th because theater average, all those other movies didn't do as well, which is interesting. Um, again, like I said, it's always nice to see those smaller movies doing well. So that's the box office for the weekend. Those actuals should be in on Monday, though. They're they're pretty good about uh, estimating correctly. Sometimes it's a little over, a little under, but that's that's about where it's at. So not not a crazy weekend by any means, but still um, pretty decent. And we'll move into the movies that I saw. So Alita Battle Angel is uh, the first one, and I saw that at home. I had bought the uh, 4K Steelbook from Best Buy. Uh, because I, I loved this movie in theaters, and I, I wanted to see it again in, in that crisp 4K uh, on on my TV, my 4K TV, and it did not disappoint. I actually liked it better the second time, and uh, that's saying a lot, because when I had gotten out of it the first time, I had some um, some reservations about it. It's it's a, based off of a manga. It's about a deactivated cyborg who is revived but can't remember anything from her past and goes on a quest to find out who she is, according to IMDb. Uh, it's directed by Robert Rodriguez. He's the guy who did Sin City and um, written by James Cameron, Leita Calder, Calo Gritas, and um, stars Rosa Salazar, Christoph Waltz, Jennifer Connelly. It's got Mahershala Ali. A very small cameo by Edward Norton, and uh, it it was good. I like I said, I thought it was great at the time. I gave it an eight when it was in theaters, and just because I you don't get to see a lot of anime movies or movies that are based off of manga that are actually really good. A lot of times they fall very short of expectations, especially because in most cases the anime is so good. Like if there was a live action movie of uh, Dragon Ball Z or My Hero Academia or Naruto, I would be really excited to see him, but I would be super nervous because those move those shows are so good and the fights are so insane. But if they weren't, wouldn't be able to translate that in a movie, it would probably bomb. And that's sort of what happened with Alita about in terms of box office. In terms of the fights, the fights are awesome. They are exactly as they should be. There's so much good slow motion. There is uh, just much like an anime, every fight she gets more and more powerful, and it does that great give and take where the bad guy gets a little one up on her, but then she always triumphs at the end. And um, it's just, it's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend going to see it. Uh, or at this point, it's not in theaters anymore. So go um, purchase it and watch it, whether that's by renting it or buying it. I would highly recommend buying it just because this is a movie that I'm going to want to watch over and over. It's a great female-led movie with a... Um, and like I said, some of the reservations, too, were in regards to her relation, her romantic relationship in this movie. If I were to point out any flaws, I would say it's probably that. Uh, the character who is interested in her, his uh, his name is Keenan Johnson, playing Hugo. And he he's supposed to be a bad boy, he, and he certainly looks the part. He's got the, the leather jacket, and he rides a one-wheeled motorcycle, and he scraps uh, robots for parts, but he's, like, really nice. He's a really nice guy, and he really genuinely likes Alita, 
And so it, it, there's sort of a disconnect because Alita has only been technically alive for like a day, two days, maybe three by the time she's like meeting Hugo. And um, she doesn't remember her past. And as the movie evolves, and this is one I don't want to spoil because like I said, it's just, it's that good of a movie. But um, she was pretty intense in her past and she's gotten a fresh start. She doesn't remember her past and she suddenly falls head over heels for this kid. And she's this amazing fighter. She's a battle angel. And this kid, he's not even an angel. Um, so it just, I don't know. It's sort of a bummer. It doesn't, it certainly doesn't detract from the movie. There's one specific scene where she's like, I will, I will give you my heart if that's what you need. And she literally pulls her heart out of her body because, uh, because she's a cyborg, she can do that. And he's like, no, no, you don't need to do that for me. And she's like, no, I'm serious. And then the scene sort of ends and she goes, oh, that, sorry, that was really intense, huh? And he's like, uh, yeah. And it was like almost a, uh, um, like for the audience to go like, yeah, that was a really intense scene for absolutely no reason uh, because he's not worth it to give you his heart because he's clearly, I, ah, you'll get into it. But Mahershal Ali, he plays a really good bad guy and um obviously not one of his he doesn't have a lot to do in this movie but the scenes that he does have i think he does a pretty decent job with them christoph waltz same they all they all gave good performances they didn't give bad performances but none of them were standout performances besides alita so uh, i can understand where certain people probably didn't like this movie or you know why no one went and saw it but if you just take it as a whole, as a movie, and I, the second time I was watching it, I pretended like I was watching an anime, and so, I don't know, I liked it a lot more that way, because, again, every time a fight starts coming, you know the fight's coming, and you're like, oh, man, and then the fight is just so good. If you, if you like seeing an underdog, and somebody that's being underestimated by everybody around her, and time after time, constantly kicking ass and the only i mean the only flaw that she has is because she doesn't have memory of who she is she's a little she's trusting and like i said she trusts this guy who's kind of questionable but beyond that it's like don't you ever question her fighting skills she is a monster in that sense and i just every person that tries to go up against her they're all like oh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna get you and it's like no no you you aren't gonna do that you're gonna you're gonna fall right on your butt and she's gonna be the victor every single time so what i was saying about alita though is um even after watching it i i wanted to see a sequel immediately and i just don't know if that's gonna happen especially on the second time around watching it and having it boot up it starts with 20th century fox so this is a disney movie now and uh, Disney just took over Fox, and I know just based on the you know articles that I've read and people that I've talked with that they're not planning to do as many Fox movies as they as Fox would have done because they're they're already making their own movies. Disney's already doing their own movies, so they don't need to bring in another twenty movies a year from Fox. Um, and I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I remember, I don't know whose article it was or who had mentioned it, but Fox, I think it was saying that Fox typically was putting out like 12 to 15 movies a year. And Disney was saying, and this might've even been from the Bob Iger, um, investors meeting uh, announcement that was a, a week or so ago, uh, and saying that they're now probably going to be doing like 
five to six Fox movies a year, or, you know, movies based off of Fox properties. So that's a, that's a pretty significant decline. It's almost 50%. And if that's the case, they're going to be pretty judici- judicious about the movies that they're going to be picking. And uh, honestly, though, I would, I hope, I hope there is a battle angel inside Disney's headquarters praying to the Disney gods to make an Alita sequel because it did well. So it, it's, but it had a high budget. Again, it, that's the other thing too. It felt like a James Cameron movie. And I am not a huge fan of James Cameron. I'm not a fan of his movies per se. I Titan. I've seen most of them. I've seen Titanic. It's a it's a good movie. It's, it could be called a great movie too. Does it deserve all the hype that it has and the box office score that it, like gross that it has? I don't personally feel it does. But it, for the time that it came out, sure. You know, you want to go watch a three and a half hour movie about a ship sinking where you already know the ending to the movie. Fine, be my guest. But if you're wanting to see it for Leonardo DiCaprio, then I can't really blame you because that's you know it's Leo. What are you gonna do? Um, Terminator Two was really good. And, um, so, you know, no complaints there. I did not like Avatar and I, I'm surprised that I've gotten into six episodes of the show and haven't mentioned anything about Avatar yet, but I just want to say real quickly, I couldn't have been happier that Avengers Endgame passed Avatar at the box office because I, and I'm going to pull this up right now. Cause this is, this is what I'll call one of my tangents. So, um, of all time, for all time, uh, Avatar has been the number one movie forever, basically, and it it couldn't be beat. So we all thought, ooh, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Avengers: Infinity War could do it. Maybe even Star Wars could do it. No one could seem to do it, and heck, no one could even beat the Titanic. So Force Awakens came out and made two point oh six billion dollars which was unheard of at the time because it made almost a billion dollars domestic, which still has never happened. And uh, it beat out it beat out all the others. It's still the highest grossing domestic movie at 936. Avengers Endgame is at 857. It's the only one closest. But uh, it still did not have the legs or the foreign market to beat Titanic or Avatar. And what is insane about that is, and I'm looking at this on Box Office Mojo, Titanic at number three, $2.18 billion with a 30% domestic gross. $659 million made in the U.S. The rest was overseas. Avatar, $2.78 billion with 27% of it domestic. $760 million domestic. Black Panther made seven hundred million dollars domestic, so it did just. And then obviously, Avengers Endgame's at two point seven nine, so it did it. It beat Avatar. Congratulations! But what I always point out to people, because some are going to say, and, and you might be right, that when uh, now that Disney owns Fox, they're going to be they're already announced that they're making the Avatar sequels, or they're going to be doing them. Um, they may re-release Avatar, and it's totally possible that Avatar's re-release makes it go above Avengers Endgame. But here's something that I think everyone needs to understand and is something that I don't think anyone understands. So um, Avengers Endgame, we're going to start with Titanic. So Titanic made $2.1 billion. And uh, okay, Box Office Mojo is not saying how long it was in theaters, but it was in theaters for a long time from what I remembered looking. It was in theaters for quite a while. And again, my complaint is not with Titanic. I have no business with Titanic. That ship has sailed and sunk by iceberg. So my issue is with Avatar. Avatar made 
billion dollars in the short time span of 238 days. What? That's almost a year. That is that is 130 days short of a year. A whole year. When's the last time you, you saw a movie that was in theaters for an entire year? I'm looking at it here. The release date of this movie was December 18th, 2009. And at the last day that it was in theaters, August 12th of 2010. Not only did this movie go through Oscar season, Christmas, um, Boxing Day, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day, um, April showers, bring May flowers, and June and July and August. That's too long. That's way too long. Now, and I would even argue that's too long for, say, The Avengers. I don't think a movie needs to be in theaters for that long. And uh, But some people did. And I don't know the exact ins and outs of it. I know some people do. Obviously, this movie got released and re-released multiple times in 3D, in IMAX. This was right around the time when those, um, those mediums, like 3D, IMAX, were really starting to pick up. And I think Avatar was sort of the guinea pig of that. And... Um, Hey, it earned it. It earned the money. Regardless, it earned the money. But it earned the money in 238 days. Avengers Endgame beat it in 108 days. That's 50% less. Over 50% less. It only did it in 100 days. And if you want to look at it in weeks, that's 15 weeks versus 34 weeks. So yeah, it took Avatar twice as long to get to Avengers Endgame's level. Regardless of what happens in the future, regardless of the re-releases, anyone ever gives anybody crap about that, that's all you have to say. And that's pretty good math. I would say, yeah, all right, well, Avatar beat Avengers again. Great, but do you know that Avatar, it took Avatar twice as long to beat Avengers? Twice as long. It just, so yeah, that's, there we go. Tangent over, um, so yeah, I'm not a, and I'm not a fan of Avatar to begin with. I when I saw that movie, I only saw it once in theaters, and when the movie ended, I I went, "Huh, that was Pocahontas." And then I walked out of the theater and I did my best to never think about it again, just because the the animation was cool, the CGI was cool, but it what to me it wasn't mind-blowing. It wasn't this thing that everyone was cuz everyone was talking about it. You got to see Avatar. You got to see the baby. And uh, and I did, and I wasn't impressed. So um, that <laughs> that tangent was based off of Alita. But regardless, Alita, I saw it this weekend. Check it out if you haven't seen it. You won't be disappointed. Yeah, you might be. I mean, based on the reviews, you might be. But uh, for me, I don't recommend movies that I, I think are bad. And this isn't one of those ones where it's like, oh, this movie is so bad that I just like it anyway. It's a really good movie. It, it really is, especially for... Um, for a lot of things, the, like I said, it's a James Cameron movie. It's, it's very big. It's got a lot of big set pieces. It's got good character work and the fights are just are out of this world. Um, so that brings us to the main event, which is the movie that I went and saw today. Uh, the farewell, which is, uh, I believe today, this is its second week in theaters. And, um, it was, I loved it. I thought it was great. It was an awesome movie. So let's get into who did this movie. It was written and directed by Lulu Wang, and it stars Aquafina, Si Ma, Diana Lin. And I want to just give a special shout out to Xu Jin Zhao, who played the grandmother in the movie. Um, 
there were moments in the movie where I thought this movie was a it was that she was the main character just because of how powerful her presence was in this movie. But it's Aquafina. It was Aquafina's movie to begin with. But what's interesting, I mean, you look at the 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 poster of it. They're all sitting on a, a bench. This movie is not just about Aquafina. It's not just about the grandmother. The movie is about all of them. The movie is about family. And this movie is um, it's just a fascinating uh, look into Chinese culture and how different it is from uh, Western culture. So um, a Chinese, the IMDb says, a Chinese family discovers their grandmother only has a short while left to live and decide to keep her in the dark, scheduling a wedding to gather before she dies. Yeah, that kind of that sums up the movie. I think what a better way to sum up the movie was um, she's diagnosed with cancer, and that diagnosis is given to her sister, so that she doesn't hear what it is. Her sister then comes out and says, you're totally fine, and then tells the rest of the family, hey, she has lung cancer. Doctor says she's got about three months left to live. Nobody say a word. And I'm just going, oh, man. And I talked about this in the prior podcast, but that whole idea of a white lie and a, and a good lie, and they they go through that in this movie. Lulu Wang wasn't just a great director in this movie. She killed it on the, on the writing. The... For anyone who who was looking for a movie, and certainly myself included, where they actually dive into the specifics of this sort of cultural difference of why why are they do why wouldn't you just tell her? She digs into that, and there are some great conversations in the movie about it. And it just it's the movie as a whole. It's it's titled as a dramatic comedy or a comedy drama, whatever you want to call it. It's a it's a sad movie. It's it's got funny moments in it and some very very heart heartwarming moments. But overall, it is a really sad movie. It's heartbreaking because it's just tough when if you know anybody or if you've ever been affected by somebody who has cancer, it is a messy disease and it it does not go quietly into the good night. Sometimes it does, you know, and sometimes people go into remission, yada, yada, yada. But for the most part, it's a, it's tough. No one ever wants to find out that they have cancer. No one ever wants to find out that somebody they love has cancer. And to be able to navigate telling somebody that, especially when their condition is worsening, is I just don't know how you could I don't know how you could pull it off and honestly I it's it's probably a team effort right it's it, the whole family's in on it on this one and we are seeing this through Aquafina's eyes and she just she performs the hell out of this movie she does such a good job I was talking to myself on the way home from the movie trying to figure out what I would you know what I would talk about and what scenes I would touch on in this film and I just wanted to point out that Aquafina just killed it she she's been in some great movies and I enjoyed her from the first time I saw her she uh, and I'm pulling her stuff right now okay cool yeah so I, I liked her in Oceans 8 I think that may have been the first thing I saw her in it may have been Crazy Rich Asians as well I saw her in Crazy Rich Asians and she's hilarious she's really really funny and she's she knows comedy she she knows how to to make certainly make me laugh and i'm looking through her uh, imdb profile she's been in some other animated movies like uh the angry birds movie oh and that's right she's in uh, jumanji the second jumanji movie coming out looking forward to that and she's in shang chi so 
Oh no, she's also in The Little Mermaid as well, a scuttle. So she's killing it. She's living her absolute best life right now. She's getting in on all the big movies and making a name for herself. And so what I wanted to touch on and what made me so happy seeing this movie is for something like that, especially for a newer actor, there's a there's sort of this idea that at least this is the way that it seems as a person watching these movies is that there's this idea that, okay, you found your groove. Okay. Maybe that's you like you're in action movies or you're in comedies or you're the, the fun sidekick or you're the, this, that, and the other. And it seems like a lot of actors these days stick with that. They go, oh, okay. The audience loved my performance in this movie. Let's see if I can find some more roles like this, or maybe Hollywood reaches out to them. Hey, you did a great job in this movie. We've got another movie. That's going to be just perfect for you. And eventually what happens is these people get caught up and get typecasted that way. And I was talking in the car. I I think a big person like that and emphasis on big is the rock. Uh, My Scorpion King, he, uh, he has gotten himself into these roles where he plays the super hunky, smoldering, good looking guy who is just trying to do something like a normal job, but things happen because he's super strong or you know like like in Hobbs and Shaw there's basically if you see a movie with the rock you know there's going to be a scene where he does his eyebrow you know there's going to be a scene where he shows his biceps or his tattoos that's just the way that it is and honestly I'm okay with that I really like the rock again he's he's my scorpion king but um again he's type he's typecasted at this point and so I would love to see him in a role where he's not doing that maybe a role where he's a little more serious and not trying to be funny or a role where his his figure is not the focus and you know regardless again it's not my call but with Aquafina I noticed that after I had seen Crazy Rich Asians in Ocean's 8 I was like oh okay she's kind of the she's the funny chick she's the one who uh, is going to make you laugh and I I was cool with that cuz she was 100% making me laugh but when I found out that she was doing this movie that was the main reason I wanted to see this movie besides the concept of the movie was I wanted to see if Aquafina could pull off a serious role to let people know that she's not just funny and I can confirm that she pulls it off in more ways than one she just Oh my man, there, there, and in my my theater, there was probably six other people watching this movie, uh, but there was one scene in the entire movie where we all laughed out loud. There, there was a couple where I was giggling a little bit, but for the most part, like I said, not a funny movie. And she just does a great job of conveying for us how a person of uh, Chinese culture living in America is dealing with this sort of thing because she's been in America and in America you wouldn't do that. And they, they touch on that in the movie. She's like, um, there's basically her, you know, like I said, she gets diagnosed and then everyone decides to come to, to come back to China under the guise of a wedding. So Aquafina's cousins getting, it gets married to a girl who, um, from Japan and everyone's coming for this wedding. And so the grandma's like, Oh, you guys, this is so great. But no one is happy and it just it it's so heartbreaking because they even tell her they tell Aquafina they're like don't come her parents are like don't come and her parents were amazing uh Sima and Diana Lin they just they were such a good parent and Sima is from uh Rush Hour if the for those film buffs out there but um they, they said don't come because you can't control your emotions. And they're not saying that because she's a, a woman. They're saying that because she's American, Americanized, I guess. They're like, you have a problem with 
um, holding it in that you're not going to be able to look at your grandmother and not start crying knowing that she has cancer. Like it's so hard to even talk about because how, like how, but how could you not go? So the parents fly out and she ends up following. So they're all eating dinner and she comes in and her grandma is so, and and the movie starts with her talking with her grandma on the phone. So you kind of get this background that she's really close with her grandma and uh, it talks with her all the time. And so she flies out and surprises them. And her grandma's like so excited to see her, but she is just stone-faced. She looks like she is about to die, um, Aquafina, And everyone's kind of just looking at her and they're like, oh, you should have called. Like, ah, and she's just like, hey, grandma. And um, it just, and that's literally the entire movie is moving from one person in the family to the next, whether that's Aquafina, her dad, her dad's brother, her cousin, trying to keep a straight face and trying to pretend to be happy so that she doesn't catch on that everyone, everyone but her knows that she's going to be dying, that she has cancer. And it, like I said, Lulu Wang really knows how to write a movie and she did such a good job of making this an almost suspenseful movie because this entire movie, I'm just going, oh my God, who's going to slip up? Like, oh, and and she did such a good job of cutting certain scenes where during the wedding, Aquafina gets up on stage, her grandma asks her to say some words and she gets up there and speaks and then like drops the mic, walks off screen, but the camera stays focused on there and you're like, oh God, she's gonna, she's gonna walk back up and she does. And you're like, no, no, no. And then she's, she, um, she like asks something else and you're like, oh my God. And then, um, the same thing happens with her brother, like uh, her dad's brother gets up to say some words and starts bawling his eyes out saying, like talking about his mom. And you're like, oh no, this is when it's going to happen. And he says, sorry, I'm just, I'm so happy. And it's like, God, these guys, they're just so good at hiding their emotions and I won't reveal what happens at the end but it safe to say I it was not the ending that I expected and just goes to show how great of a movie this was but um, my favorite there are three uh, I think it was three yeah there are three scenes in this movie that really stuck out to me the first one was um, after Aquafina gets there is like the next day her grandma is outside um, doing these exercises where she like breathes in deeply and then goes ha ha and like with her hands popping out kind of Iron Man style or like karate style. And um, she's talking about how she's like, you've got to breathe in and let go of the bad stuff to keep you healthy. Like, this is why I've been healthy for so long. This is why I'm in such good health. And Aquafina is just standing there like, ah, you, if only you knew. And um, there's a really good callback towards the end of the movie with that scene too. That it, And I won't spoil it, but... Um, the, the best scene, I think, in my opinion, though, um, besides the whole movie was, um, she's talking with her dad and her uncle who are in their hotel room, um, smoking and, um, she gets in there. She's like, dad, you're not supposed to be smoking. And her uncle's like, like, he's like, I'm not like I quit. Like, and I'm, I'm thinking in my head, like, man, just let him have a cigarette because his mom is dying. His mom has cancer. Like that's prop. That's why that's what's going on. And they haven't, him and his brother hadn't seen each other in 25 years. So it was like this giant family reunion, but she's, she brings it up again. She's like, are we going to tell her? Like we, I feel like we have to tell her and her brother, his brother sits with her and says, this is something that you don't understand about the East Eastern culture versus Western culture. He's like Western culture is very individualistic and it's all about the person, all about the self versus 
Eastern culture is very collective. It's not just about you. It's about the entire family. And um, he says, so the, those basically those feelings you're feeling, you want to tell her because you don't want the responsibility of protecting her. You don't want to have that responsibility. You want to tell her so that you don't have to feel guilty anymore. He's like, that is our job as our as their her family. It is our job to bear that burden so that she doesn't have to. Because most and in I don't think he explains this. I think her mom in a different scene explains it, but says it's not the cancer that kills you. It's the fear that comes with it. So if we can protect her from that until the last minute, we're going to do that. And um, her grandma's sister has been taking care of her. Like I said, she's the one who kind of has been hiding some news too. And she says that um, she was like that. Her her husband had died of cancer years ago, um, the grandma's. And she's explaining to her too. She's like, and she lied to her husband as well until until right at the very end she told him because um, that's just that's just how it's done. And so she, uh, Lulu Wang makes a great movie about not just Chinese culture, but the culture clash between China and America of um, just those those different how things are handled. Because like I said, I don't know if that's something that I would be able to hold in. I, I, I could probably do it. If I had to, I could. But I certainly wouldn't want to because, and that's just that's just who I am. If my if my grandma or and and that's happened with me, my my grandparents. I don't have any grandparents. There, a lot of them have died of a lot of them. All four of them have died, but um, one of them died of lung cancer, and it was something where they found out they had lung cancer, and we got to spend the rest of our days loving them and and getting to say goodbye, and. I can see both sides of it. It makes sense. I, I can see both sides of it. And I I just highly recommend you check this movie out so that you can see both sides of it and that you can see these struggles that, that Aquafina and um, even the whole rest of the cast deal with. Because like I said, everyone in the cast deals with it in one way or the other. And you can kind of, you get to see that in a perfect family setting. It's a, it's a small, intimate movie that... Um, I, I hope it gets some Oscar buzz. It's an A24 movie, so it's a good one. It's a good movie. I would highly recommend it. Uh, and that's that's going to do it. So that's uh, those are the two movies that I saw this weekend. And um, I look forward to speaking with you guys next time about whatever I see next. But for now, I'm Alex Klein, and this is Comics and Cinema. Thanks so much for listening.